Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. What would it be like to live in a world where biblical and social barriers to women's equality don't exist? Our guest today, Mimi Haddad, has spent decades working to educate, advocate, and liberate women and men from Christian patriarchy through her leadership with Christians for Biblical Equality. CBE is an international organization that has challenged biblical and patriarchal social barriers for over 30 years. My colleague Karen Guzman sits down with Mimi to talk about some of the challenges that women face in the university world and ways to serve as leaders and allies. I loved hearing Mimi talk about the positive impact on societies around the world when women take leadership roles, and I really appreciated Mimi's perception of the Holy Spirit's role in this work of raising up women. I thought this conversation was just a delight, and I think you will too. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Dr. Mimi Haddad serves as president and CEO of CBE International, and as an adjunct associate professor of historical theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. She is a graduate of the University of Colorado and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and she holds a PhD in historical theology from the University of Durham, England. Mimi is an award-winning author and has written more than 100 academic, popular, and blog articles, as well as contributing to over 15 books. Mimi writes, teaches, and speaks on matters related to development, justice, faith, and gender. Mimi and her husband, Dale, live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and are involved in local ministries. Mimi was interviewed in March 2023 by Karen Heiss-Guzman, the Director of Women, Scholars, and Professionals. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. Mimi, tell me about your own background, including your education and your teaching experience and what subjects you enjoy teaching and yeah. maybe a moment or two that uh, have been your favorite in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. So my great passion is uh, women uh, in history and their theological contributions. My PhD is in historic theology from the University of Durham in Durham, England. And I had a great supervisor, Professor Ann Lode. She held an endowed chair. She passed away just a few months ago. So it's been kind of a sad season. Mm -hmm. She was a great mentor and friend. And, you know, my parents were immigrants and it was a really big deal to be educated. That was the key to survival and independence in their view, especially for my father who um, came from an Arab context. And he was very keen not to have his daughters be demeaned or dominated by men. And so that was super important to him and to us. And we're really grateful for it. So I teach 
quite a lot, both for CBE and as at Fuller. And I have I, I focus on just women in history and theology. And I'm delighted when I see all these conversions happen. Very often students will send me a message, the Holy Spirit's messing with me. I have a student now who's a um, doing his doctorate. And I think every year he writes or shares something on social media about the impact this class had on his life and how he's sharing the resources with others. So I don't, you know, I just don't know that you could have more joy in seeing the passion you have take root or ignite passion in others. Yes. It's the same, same thing with parenting, right? When you see the fruit of your investment and and understand feel like oh they were listening <laughs> yeah well you mentioned cbe christians for biblical equality for those in our audience who aren't familiar with cbe would you give a brief summary in terms of its history and its work yeah cbe uh, international also christians for biblical equality was founded in 1989 by mostly academics who were at the end of their careers uh, and they were stunned and dismayed by the rhetoric they heard in the church, which was very different from what they remember hearing growing up, that they, there are these, you know, if you have these gifts, you know, growing up that, you know, your calling as a Christian was to discover the gifts God had given you and to fan that into flame with all of your might and to serve God through those gifts, which was your responsibility. Uh, but then after the fundamentalist modernist controversy in the 60s in the United States, churches were uh, pressing a rhetoric of pink and blue spheres for men and for women. And the founders just happenstance ran into each other, striked up conversations about how tragic this was and felt a call to orchestrate and organize an organization developing the biblical basis for women's leadership. So people like Gretchen Gabeline Hall, who is the daughter of Frank Gabeline, who is founder of Stony Brook Academy, a public theologian, and also one of the founders of Christianity Today, you know, she was just committed to this cause because her parents never indicated that her calling was to be a submissive, subservient, and remove herself from teaching roles, fortunately, because she was a brilliant teacher. Alvira Michelson was a member of the Bethel Trio, like the Stockton and Gould Trio that went around preaching and evangelizing. Alvira did the same thing, and they ended their tour on Moody Bible Radio. And Alvira giggled, saying, you know, it wasn't until after 1960 that anyone thought women's preaching was a liberal agenda. And so CBE is theologically connected to the early evangelicals who believed that Galatians 3.28 clearly sort of embodies the teachings of Paul and the example of Christ, that it's newness of life in Christ, the Spirit's gifting, and one's character that shapes opportunities for leadership. So we publish an academic and popular journal. We have conferences in the U.S. one year, offshore the next. We'll be in Brazil this coming July, where we're, the Brazilian team there wants us to talk about setting the record straight biblically for women. We have chapters, local chapters in the U.S. and abroad. We have podcasts, e-learning modules, and you can pretty much spend hours and weeks and months on CBE's website learning more about this. Yes. Tell me again, what year would CBE have been started? 
1989. I remember finding CBE fairly early on, subscribing to Priscilla Papers when I started on staff with InterVarsity and was looking for help. <laughs> trying to trying to figure out what is the scripture teaching about women and ministry and so I I remember yeah reading some of those old saints right who were writing back in the beginning in the late right. 80s early 90s as we're speaking it's March which is Women's History Month my team is providing opportunities for our audience to learn about and celebrate contributions that women have made to the church and to the wider world throughout the years. I'm curious, would you be willing to share a story or two of the ways in which entire communities end up changing for the better when minds are changed about women becoming full participants in the church and in society? Yeah, thank you. What a great question. I love that question. I love it. Well, I I could easily share the story about Catherine Bushnell, who really CBE has brought her story back to life. We have a movie script out and it's being reviewed by a large movie team at the moment. And it's a really just a miraculous story of a young woman who becomes a medical doctor. She graduates three years earlier than most people. And as a woman, heads off to China working as a medical doctor in a rural area and encounters the uh, Chinese Bible where Iodia and Sintaiki were made into men. She asks her colleagues there, why these two women men? And well, women leaders would not be accepted in our culture. And she wondered how many other cultures did the same. What about the U.S.? So she ends up coming home. She works at a hospital in Denver, Colorado, just a few blocks from the red light district where girls had been trafficked from mainland China. And they bring her, they bring these girls in when they are injured uh, or abused or um, exploited and wounded by their, their John. And she talks to them. She speaks Chinese and she discovers that all along the way, the, the road of trafficking has many Christian gatekeepers who never throw a break on this tragedy. And she's recruited by Frances Willard to lead the anti-trafficking efforts of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the largest women's organization at the time, where she works uh, emptying brothels in the lumber camps in Wisconsin. Because of her work, she establishes the first anti-trafficking law, bringing evidence of complicity at the highest level, both in Wisconsin and in Michigan in the iron mines. She's then called to work with Josephine Butler with girls who had been trafficked and brothled into the British encampments to retain officers and soldiers who are there as they're colonizing India. So after 20 years of anti-trafficking work, Bushnell retreats to Switzerland and she's with colleagues and they're praying and trying to recover from just exhausting work, no break. And she realizes, she senses that the Lord is calling her to do some really deep biblical research because the Bibles have been so poorly translated and interpreted that she thinks that this is the reason why the church is complicit in the exploitation of girls and women. 
So that's what she does. She publishes a book called God's Word to Women in 1919, which is just an just a profound document that egalitarians continue to reflect on and grow through, uh, representing the need for better translations. And really CBE's own Bible translation project really extends this work and stands on her shoulders. So I think, you know, they say, George Orwell said so beautifully that to control the present, you have to control the past, to control the future, you have to control the past. So history matters. And I cover lots of these stories of women leaders in my chapter in Discovering Biblical Equality through IVP, the third edition. So I have a chapter on these women and also their impact in my chapter on human flourishing. So just pick that up and enjoy those stories. They're all just so inspiring. Well, and I seem to remember at the most recent CBE conference that I attended, mm -hmm. there were stories, particularly from Africa, where the work that CBE had done helping both men and women come to a better biblical interpretation had profound effect on those communities as mm -hmm. people changed their minds about what they thought the scriptures actually taught. Yeah, I think that you're you're picking up on on Emily Anyanga, who was in uh, Houston, and she led a keynote. She was the first woman ordained as an Anglican bishop in Kenya. She's a very close colleague of CBE's. She teaches theology at St. Paul's University in Lamuru, Kenya, where we had our first conference in Africa. She has these great male allies who work beside her co-bishops now, but they they were such good friends and had such a high regard for one another's gifting and calling, both in the academy and in the church where bishops and priests work, that it was almost, you know, just a foregone conclusion that Emily would be the first woman, woman bishop in the Anglican church because she is. Uh, so brilliant and and works and is surrounded by these male bishops and theologians who view her as a vibrant and necessary colleague. So those are stories that she brought. She's really actually a phenomenal humanitarian. And mm -hmm. we, we carry her book, uh, Dr. Reverend Emily, the right Reverend Emily Anyanga. And CBE was, I was privileged to be invited to speak at her ordination ceremony, but mm -hmm couldn't travel because of COVID. Oh, right. But I, I keep that invitation right on yeah. my desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that my colleagues and I hear regularly from grad students and faculty, and actually even women working in various professions, is that they have a challenging relationship with their church. Uh, many don't feel fully accepted or included because of a lack of understanding or even suspicion mm -hmm. about the legitimacy of a call to academia, particularly secular academia, or for some, it's the business world even. Yeah. And for women, there's often this added element of being in church spaces where their gifts are not recognized or well-received professionally, they might be in leadership roles and have a significant influence, but in their churches, they're sidelined 
or marginalized because of their gender. And for those with family commitments or other mitigating circumstances, just picking up and leaving and going to another church uh, might not be an option. So what advice do you have for women who find themselves in these situations? Yeah, I'm so thankful to have you and the work that you're doing with uh, Women in the Academy to support them, all the resources you offer on your website, chances for them to get together and um, collaborate and pray together. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's, we hear this often, I have to say, it's just a common complaint that we hear. And so I think there's what I encourage women like that, women in these circumstances to uh, find some male allies, right? And we're going to, we'll talk about that in a minute, I hope, but male allies who will partner with them, like those who partnered with Emily and Yanga in, mm-hmm. in Kenya, who, who value their voice and agency and recognize how, what a key catalyst they are to leveraging productivity and excellence in their vocation. Um, in those church spaces, um, I think those those are the place, very hard places. Uh, Mary Stewart Van Leeuwen wrote that wonderful book in 2002 that explains why this happens, why this has happened more now than in prior years where women have gained places of equality in the culture and the academy and business because as the Peterson Institute shows, putting women on all male teams increases productivity, lowers unethical practices and um, dries engagement. But the church is the la- is, is slow to do that because women, men feel pushed out of prominence and leadership and culture. So they honker down uh, in those roles in the church. So it can be, it's quite entrenched in many places. And when you have family, like you say, you're, you're very slow to leave. But so then you have to build change. You have to be agents of change. And there's mm-hmm. some wonderful work in a discipline called the sociology of knowledge, how to bring change to communities that are reluctant because they view it as a taboo issue, like women's equality. And so you you have to work in softer ways. You, of course, you want to teach good theology, put those books in the library. You, you try to get talented women with the gifts that are needed on the finance team in um, structuring organizationally, try to get those, those doors to open in softer ways through prayer key of all, but also mm-hmm. in leading, having men lead by example, asking men to open those doors, speaking to the advantages of diverse teams, because there's, there's so much research on this, not only from business, but from humanitarian groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about the relative advantage, you you lead by example, you get opinion leaders to move the needle forward, because they won't accept it from women. You're really very much reliant on male allies and praying for strategies that God can show you where those male, male allies are. And often, as I've said many times, that it's men with young daughters you know, who feel viscerally the sting of sexism. Hmm. We wish that it were every man who has a wife. (laughs) (laughs) But more often, we find it's when a daughter suffers, wow, that's a a blow to your own body as a father. And those are are the men that you may want to have conversations with. Let's piggyback on that and ask this question. Um, How can men 
who long to see the women in their lives that they admire, whether it be daughters or sisters or friends or wives? How can they be part of the solution? Yeah, right. Well, on top of the things that I've said about the sociology of knowledge and the the ways in which you can move the needle forward through these by leading through example as men, you want your church to have men who open doors for women, finding out where the talented, the talents women have. Who are those women who are skilled in finance? Whatever the church may need. Is it HR, right? Is it donations, planned giving? I mean, women dominate those fields. They are leaders in planned giving and in financial nonprofit fundraising. Vice presidents and presidents of those committees all over the nonprofit world, they have exquisite experience in HR. And they're often very gifted middle managers when businesses are not allowing them to move forward. I think finding out who those women are in your church and asking if they have a few minutes, would they be willing if if I if a man were to nominate them to a committee, would they be willing to join it? If they're experts in a particular discipline that the church needs an adult ed teacher, do that together with them. Find ways of really allying well. And by allying, I don't mean dominating the conversation. Once you get the woman to the table or on the panel or in the classroom, <laughs> step back. A true ally allows the talent and exquisite giftedness of the person they're allying to go forward as they lose, right, as they lose the spotlight and allow it to shine on her. That can be tricky, but that's, you know, that's a conversation to have with a male ally. Yeah, thank you. Well, as parents or educators or members of the church family at large, how can we raise girls and young women in our lives to be concerned and confident uh, contributors to the mission of God in the world? That's a great question because we're often asked how to build confidence in girls and women. And I think the key is what, what we've seen as a point of real leverage is figuring out what the girl or woman is passionate about, right? Finding their passions, tooling and skilling them around those passions and introducing them to a woman who's gone very far in that field, right? So it's mentoring, right? So it's almost a succession planning, right? Where you, you realize here's a, here's a younger woman who has, a skill or talent, and wants to grow and invest their life, banning into flame the gift within them. And they're now really in close working relationship with a woman who does just that, a woman they value, that they respect, whose way of doing that vocation is is exciting to that younger person. And I know that I had that in my life. And I know that the power that was for me, it was very much like the mentoring example you see in the older institutions in Great Britain and Europe when PhDs graduate. Think of this metaphor now. In the older institutions, Oxford, Cambridge, and Durham, PhD students, as they were 
receiving their doctorate in the cathedral, they held on to the finger of their supervisor who walked backwards towards the altar, demonstrating, you know, in this physical way as they walked backwards, cap and gown, and then released them at the altar and they got their doctorate. It was saying that you catch by example and engagement the deepest qualities of the person who's preparing you to take that over as they leave, right? And so it's a it's a succession of, I've given you everything I know and you've asked to be part of this and now you carry it on in, in the way God has called you to do that. And um, I, I love that physical representation of, it's not stuffing knowledge into your head it's an actual engagement with someone you really respect and want to be like in your way. And I think that just built such enormous confidence. Way after I did my doctorate and graduated and was off doing these different things, I was constantly calling Ann Lodes and asking her for advice. And she often mm. had it. And she was there for me. You yeah. know, she was my, you know, she and Alfred Michaels. <laughs> but anyway, you know, you've got to be that, you know, you've got to be that for someone else now. Well, you've mentioned a few books already, mm -hmm. but I'm curious, in addition to all the amazing resources that are sitting on that website, that CBE website, what are your top three current mm -hmm. books or resources on the topic of women in the church? Well, I think DBE published the third edition published by IVP. We put a lot of heart and soul into that, and it's really quite amazing book third edition, out 2021. I'm really in love with Nijay Gupta's book by IVP2, Tell Her Story. Nijay was a student at Durham and he nails it. I I endorse the book. Uh, I just love it. Um, our next conference in Denver is going to be built around it. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. We just about did a podcast with him this week. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah that's great. we got that out on social media. I When I read the book, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, you know, the IVP team calls, you gotta read this and endorse. Like, oh, I have to do this. I'm, but every page I'm like, I need more. I need more of this book. This is great. He just, he just brings in the research that's needed. It's a home run. It's the best thing. And I do like Jimmy Carter, who um, CBE worked with his human rights defender forum over the years. He's a very strong supporter of CBE. And as we think about he and his family now, as he's just mm -hmm. inches from eternity, his book, Call to Action, Women, Religion, and Violence, is one of the best books I've ever read. He so clearly demonstrates the power of faith traditions to empower women and, and the obstacles women are facing worldwide. I, I love that book. I use it in my courses and people just can't get enough of it. It's so brilliant. It's just dripping with the Holy spirit. Well, that's great. Thank you. Thanks for those recommendations. We'll make sure to include them in our show notes so that people have, um, have access to those. Well, you, you've mentioned that the CBE conference this summer is in Brazil mm -hmm. and the title for that is setting the record straight. What other projects is CBE working on that excite you right now? Yep. yep. Well, I am thrilled about some of the humanitarian research that we're doing with groups like the Wheaton Center for Relief and Development 
and the Christian Alliance on Inclusive Development. These are colleagues that we've been working together for a, a long time, and we're trying to bring the biblical research on women's equality to the forefront of humanitarian work. The reason why this is necessary is, is because without a, a solid and robust egalitarian theology, Christian humanitarians are really letting the world's girls and women down. And here's an example. Uh, we work with partners in Kenya, and one of our partners is just an exquisite Bible teacher, and a group in the DRC, which is the rape capital of the world, heard my colleague uh, speak and teach and invited him to come up and teach in the DRC. And the organization that sponsors this work in the DRC was the opposite of egalitarian Christian, which was wonderful, but very opposed to women's leadership. But until my colleague came up and did egalitarian trainings, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, and what does this mean in marriage? What does this mean in the church? This sort of thing. Really, it just came on, everything started to change in a, like in a, a micro way. And it, it was so empowered, built confidence. Again, the word confidence in these girls mm -hmm. and women. So, you know, I heard that it went really well, despite the travel on mud roads, it took de delayed his, mm -hmm. his arrival for days. So about six months later, I was leading a couple of sessions through the Accord Network, which is an, a consortium of Christian humanitarians. And I, we, I was going through really the same biblical material. And a, a man from this organization where my colleague was teaching in the DRC came up to me and he said, you know, our organization at the highest level will not embrace women's equality as a biblical ideal, but I saw what happened in the DRC. I saw the change on their faces. Girls and women, their spines straightened. Their voice oh. got stronger. They were no longer targets because they could say no and fight back. And he said, that's what we need. And he goes, and I will fight for this, Mimi, is as hard as I can. Hmm. And he was so excited that his tie was kind of poking out because his tie <laughs> got really big. <laughs> he was really excited. And I thought, you know, it was that example of the empowerment, true, authentic, biblical, consistent teaching has on girls and women is just, mm -hmm. it's just indomitable. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And, it, and to your point too, it has ripple effects, not just in the girls and then the women but with the men in the culture as well and wider societal implications so right and he's now an ally yeah. he's yeah. an ally yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's wonderful it's the holy spirit right it's the holy yeah, spirit that's right well how can our listeners connect with cbe how do we find you www.cbeinternational.org. Um, Haddad at cbeinternational.org. Feel free to write to me, uh, support our work, um, pray for us. And, you know, if you've got a book idea, I think these women who are, who do great academic work and in their vocation, but find a closed door in the church, I think we need a book on that. So talk to your friends at IVP. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And they can find you in Brazil this summer. Right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. I was just telling Karen and I were talking before we started the recording about um, the thought leaders, the Christian pastors in Brazil who are 
are you egalitarian? It's all am I. And they're they're passing on the news. And one very popular social media colleague started tweeting about it. And I've never acquired so many followers in my life in like a 30 minute block. I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is so they are all over this. So we're translating some of our books into Portuguese, IVPs, translating deep uh, discovering biblical equality into Portuguese. Pray that it can happen before we we land on the 18th of July. But be part of it. It's so exciting. We'll have translation into English and pray for that effort and, and get behind it. The work of Christians for Biblical Equality under Mimi's leadership is really remarkable. I find it so inspiring to browse their website and learn about the many projects they are taking on. I encourage you to check out CBE, and I've included lots of links in the show notes. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a bonus from our podcast where Karen offers a blessing for Mimi and reveals that she may not have pressed the record button the first time they had this conversation. The Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcast as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from Karen's conversation with Mimi. Well, thanks, Mimi. Thanks for being with me this afternoon, Pleasure. for having this conversation twice. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. It's okay. Pre- appreciate your grace, uh, your grace in that way. Absolutely. And yeah, blessings on your work and on, on all of the things that are happening, all the influence may the Lord uh, multiply, even as you've seen in your coursework with students, may all that's going on get multiplied and used to further, further the purposes of God in the world and to his glory. So thank you. Thank you. And thank I hope you. we hope we see each other. It may not be in Brazil, but possibly the summer after. So we'll see what happens. So. But yeah, right. God bless that'll you be doing. great. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now.